the transacting of business between heaven and earth. Jesus has called his disciples out down on the coast of Sisera Philippi and called them out of the kneeling multitudes and there was a great crowd there. And he's warning them about the doctrines of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, false doctrines. And Jesus tells us again in the book of Timothy that in the last days seducing spirits and doctrines of devils will come after people to lead them away and to lead them astray. So he's saying beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, the doctrines, the heresies and the falsehoods of the religious crowds. That's what they were. They were a religious crowd, far more religious than any of us. They never ate with unwashed hands. They fasted and prayed two and three times a week. They paid a tithe of everything. They kept the law. They're very religious. But Jesus said, don't get mixed up with that kind of religion. And he said to his disciples, don't let that kind of stuff get the upper hand of you. My friends, we're still facing those things, all sorts of religious things false doctrines and heresies of all sorts, Jesus movement, children of God movement, deeper life movements and tongue movements and all other sorts of movements are coming through the country now and a lot of honest people are getting caught in the driftwood of that stuff, blinding their lives and wrecking their lives and cursing their lives. Jesus said, don't get caught up in all of that religious stuff. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. You don't have to run off after something else and look for some sign. You've got all you need in me. And what's the need to run around hunting something else? And so as a result, my friends, we've always had a bunch of false religionists, false teachers. And he's saying then, my friends, he's called his disciples down on the coast of Sisera Philippi. And he said unto them, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Some of them said, Thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, some Jeremiah, or one of the great prophets. You notice all of them said he's John the Baptist, Jeremiah, Isaiah, one of the prophets. None of them said he's Christ the Messiah. This religious crowd didn't want him to be Jesus. He could be anybody other than Jesus Christ. He could be anybody other than the Son of God. They didn't want him to be the Messiah. The Son of God had wrecked their religions. So as a result, it's all right for him to be John the Baptist or Elias or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. It's fine. But don't let him be the Son of God. And so, my friends, we're still living in those days when we've got all that crowd. That's wanting him to be everything. You don't want him to be born of the Virgin Mary. They don't want his blood to mean anything. All sorts and sordid of things are being taught about Jesus Christ other than the real truth about him. So as a result, Jesus turns and said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Here's what others are saying, but whom do you say that I am? Peter spoke up for these disciples and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, Blessed art thou, but Jonah's flesh and blood has not revealed these unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. In other words, he's simply saying, Blessed art thou. You didn't learn this from some family tradition or some teacher. You've got, you've had an experience from above. Because you can say that without of your heart and with the truth. And it isn't something you've been taught. It isn't some traditional religion that's come down through the years. It's an experience you've had from above. And so Jesus is still saying the same thing to you and I. 
But whom do ye say that I, the Son of Man, am? And then the crowd leaves the church, my friend. Christ. So as a result, we've got all of those kinds of religion. The modernists are coming up, the communists are coming up, the liberals are coming up with all of their different doctrines and theories of religion. And as a result, they were in this day. It's nothing on the ocean. Go back in the day of Noah. Noah was the only one. He and his family that believed the real truth about God. The rest of them drowned in the flood. And the day, there's always been a bunch of skeptics and there's days when the Sodomites and the Gomorrahites laughed at God and God sent the brimstone and fire and burned them up. 250 intellects stood out on the hillside and laughed at God and said, There's nothing to God. And God split the earth open under their feet and they went to hell in the shirt tails before they ever knew what hit them. Amen. We've had modernists and we've had liberalists and false doctrines teach us and we always will have them. He said in the last days, Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils will be there in great qualities, and we're in that day now. Amen. My friends, I'm conscious that we have so many heresies and so many false doctrines. But who is Jesus to you? Amen. Doesn't no matter who he is to some modernist preacher or liberal preacher, some teacher in some institution, who is he to you? That's what matters. Amen. My friends, Peter said, The art of the Christ of the Son of the living God. And he said, That's come from above. You wouldn't talk that. You didn't inherit that. You didn't get that somewhere else. You had an experience from above. And he wasn't confused and mixed up about who Jesus was. Amen. And I'll tell you this morning, my friends, if you are, if all of this confusion of doctrines and all of this confusion of religions confuse you, I'm afraid for you. What you need is an experience from above. And if you have that experience from above, all this other stuff won't confuse you. Amen. That's right. If in the morning the news media would blurt out across the waves of this country, Jesus Christ is a fake like Santa Claus and like Easter rabbit myths and all the preachers have thrown their Bibles away and the churches have turned into social halls and there will not be any more gospel song. There will not be any more preaching. And all of the preachers and all of the Sunday school teachers and every religious leader in the schools of religion have closed the doors and found out Jesus Christ is a fake. And there's nothing and none of it. Wouldn't have any effect on me. Amen. Amen. Wouldn't bother me if every last preacher ever walked down on the face of this earth. The great preachers and all said there's nothing. No, grant you. He'd hang a big question mark in my mind. You know what the question would be? Why the end of them had ever been saved tonight. Amen. My friends, after having lived a life of infidelity and wicked and violent and a God cursing, after that experience at high noon, 1932 in April, when God struck me down and Amen. saved my soul, I had an experience from above. Amen. And if the greatest preachers I've ever listened at would say there's nothing to it, I'd say, well, what he needs is salvation. Amen. If this 
all this modernist, liberalistic trends of the religions of the days confusing you. You just need one thing. Get in this altar and wait right here until you have that experience from above and that will settle all of your confusion. I'm not confused about all of this confusions of religion. I have that experience and it's been settled forever and it stays settled. And if you're confused, what you need is have an experience from above like Peter did and that will settle the whole business once and for all. Amen. Amen. After this then Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon, but John, flesh and blood have not revealed it, but you've had this marvelous experience from above that makes you know that I'm the Son of God. Thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. Now what's he talking about? Whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? Whom do ye say that I am? Thou art Peter. But upon this rock. What's he talking about about himself? Of course. Not about Peter. Now we've got a lot of folks that say Peter was the first foundation. It was the foundation of the church, and Jesus built the church on Peter, but that's where they're wrong. Amen. A lot of them say that Peter was the first pope in Rome. Well, in the first place, he's never in Rome to be in Rome. In the second place, he wasn't a pope because he's disqualified. He had a wife, at least, at least I guess he did. He had a mother-in-law, and he couldn't have one of those without having a wife. Amen. And that disqualified him as pope. And furthermore, my friends... I want you to realize Peter never established a church. Peter never started a church. Peter never organized a church. Your church organizes the Apostle Paul. And listen to what Paul said. Paul said, Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He said, Some said, We are Apollos. We're not. We're Paul. We're not. We're Cephas. Paul said, you're a bunch of stupid carnality, every one of you, but you are. Paul said, anything, Paul said, anything, Cephas said, anything. We're labors together, one planted, another watered, and God give the increase, wouldn't be nothing to none of us. And other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Christ is the foundation of the church. A lot of people worry about it. You hear a lot of people say, well, I hope St. Peter lets me in the gate. What's he got to do with it? Yeah. More than a barking feist dog. Amen. My beloved, my Bible tells me there's 12 gates to glory. Three on the east, three on the west, three on the north, three on the south. They're 1,500 miles apart. And if Peter tried to keep me out uh, while I was trying to keep me out of one gate, uh, Simpson run in one of the other 11 that he wasn't mad. Amen. He don't stand a dog's chance keeping us out. Peter's just like everybody else. He'll go in just like you and I go in. He won't be no gatekeeper. Amen. Matter of fact, they don't keep the gates. They're never closed by day or by night, Amen. the book tells us. Don't have to have any gatekeepers. Folks that's in there don't want out, and the folks that's not in there don't want in. Amen. Don't have to have nobody keep the gates. But Jesus said, I will build my church. All right, he's going to build it, not Peter, not Paul, not somebody else, but he's going to build it upon what? Upon this rock himself, the eternal rock, the everlasting rock, the unshakable rock, the unquenchable rock. I will build my church, then the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
Keep this one thing in mind, ladies and gentlemen. He didn't say that about anything else. He didn't say that about the home. He didn't say that about any institution. He didn't say that about the Jesus movement or the Youth for Christ movement. So he didn't say that about the fraternal orders of the civic clubs. He didn't say that about anything else. But he said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So it's hell proofed. It's here to stay. Homes may crumble, governments may cease, institutions may fall to pieces and clubs and fraternities may blow up, but the church will still be here when it's all blown out. He said it here to stay in hell and not whip it. He put that barrier up against it. He spoke it and it's been spoken and nobody will speak what he said. So as a result, he established his church. It's established forever. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, built it. It's his church. Now then, he said, I give unto thee the keys. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, he didn't give the keys to the preacher. He didn't give them to Peter. He gave them to the church. Amen. You know the reason he didn't give the keys to preachers? I'll tell you exactly. Had he given the keys to Peter when Peter died, it had been closed up. That's right. He gave the keys to the preacher. If they died or something happened to them, heaven would be closed up. He left his church here to carry on his business till he gets back. Amen. So as a result, he didn't give the keys to some preacher. Because sometimes churches and preachers don't get along too well. Amen. And the church gets rid of the preacher. If he had the key, he'd take it with him and say, be a cold end July when y'all get anything else. Amen. <laughs> he knew that. Then he knew there'd be wild fellas like me and Ronnie Simpson come along and want to have a revival. And if the church didn't want to have one, we had the key. We'd unlock heaven and drink you with one. <laughs> Drown you if you put it. I've been in a few places, Brother Pastor, when it's so dead and dry you couldn't get a holy grunt. And the God knows if I'd have had the key, I'd have unlocked heaven and drenched them with a revival once and for all. But I just had to dry hide it through with them. (laughs) This church don't want to have a revival. It's not a preacher on earth that can make you have a revival. On the other hand, if you want to have a revival, you can have it. Preacher, no preacher. He gave you the key. The keys was in your hands. And whatever you bind on earth, God said, I'll work with you and bind it up there. Whatever you loose on earth, I'll work with you and loose it down here. Now then, the thing I want you to see is that Jesus established his church and gave her the keys to transact business. How come him to do it? That's the thing I want you to see this morning. What Jesus start the church? How come him to start the church? What do he want with it anyhow? Why the church? I'll tell you why. His kingdom has to be advanced. And he wanted his kingdom to go on. He wanted his business to go on. And he had to go somewhere and do something. And so he established the church and gave her the keys to look after his business while he's gone. To illustrate what I'm trying to say, for example, if Ronnie Simpson come along here and he had some sort of a business here in America, and he'd say, Percy Ray, here's the keys to my business. I'm going over to Europe. And I want you to run my business till I get back. You occupy it till I get back. I may be gone five years. I may be gone eight years. 
I may be gone ten years, but here's the keys to my business place. You run this till I get back. Here's the keys. Operate it till I get back. I'm going over and you up and start another business. And when I get it going good, I'll be back. But you look at my business. He hands me the keys and makes his trip into Europe. And I feel obligated to his business the rest of my time here till he gets back. Now that's what Jesus is doing. He's fixing to go somewhere and do something else. And he didn't want his business to go uh, lacking. So he established the church and gave her the keys. And said, you look after my business till I get back and I'll see to it that hell don't stop you. Amen. Amen. Well, where is he going? Well, I'll tell you where he's going. He's going to fix me a new place to go to. Amen. We didn't have nowhere to go. When man ate the forbidden fruit and God put him outside of the garden, death came upon him, disease. And death came. Unless he put forth his hand and eat of the tree of life and live forever. God put him outside of the garden and put cherubims out there with flickering swords saying you can't come back in. Unless you eat of the tree of life. Had Adam got back in there and ate of the tree of life in the garden, we'd have lived forever in these cursed bodies. Amen. Think of living a million years in these old carcasses. We can't hardly stand them 80 and 90. Amen. But my friends, we had to move out of these bodies. Thank God He let death come upon man. So when these bodies, we can't stand them any longer, we can get out of them. Oh, my friends, what a blessing death is. Thank God for death. Amen. The most wonderful experience, ladies and gentlemen, outside of salvation of a Christian is death. Nothing more glorious, nothing more victorious, nothing more blessed. He said, blessed are those that die in the Lord. Amen. Thank God for death. What a wonderful thing death is. What a marvelous thing death is. What if he was paralyzed? Lying on the bed, eat up with bed sores and had to lay there a million years and couldn't die and couldn't get no better. Here's somebody paralyzed and helpless lying on the bed, eat up with bed sores and they can't get no better. Here's somebody with cancer, eating them up and they can't get well and they can't die. What a marvelous thing it is when these houses get to where they're not fit to live in, we can die. Oh, thank God for death. Death is the greatest experience outside of salvation. Why? We have to move out of these bodies and go somewhere when disease eats them up and fevers burn them and pains wrecking the disease eat them and we can't stand them any longer. We have to get out of them and go somewhere. We didn't have nowhere to go. We didn't have nowhere to go. We're outside of the garden and fixing to die. Where would I Where would we go? Float around in space. We have nowhere to go. Listen to Jesus. 
We are fixing to die. We are fixing to leave out of these bodies and no house to live in. Just here we are, out in this pit. Jesus said in my Father's house, Amen. There are many mansions. Amen. And I'm going to go fix you a place if you believe in me and God. Amen. And I'll come back and tell you to it and I'll get it ready. Where's Jesus going? He's going up to the Father's house to fix us somewhere to go when we have to move out of this car. Amen. He said, when I get it all fixed, I'll be back and carry you to it. My beloved, he didn't have to. He had left all that space up there with the Father. But because of his interest in love and compassion for you and I, he saw was up against him. We couldn't stay in these old bodies always. He said, oh, in my father's house are many mansions. You say, Mr. Ray, you think there'll be enough room in heaven for all of them? Yes, sir. Amen. Without being crowded. If you're a mathematician, you'll figure from the description and revelation given of heaven, it's big enough to hold 12 and a half quintillion people. And how many that is? If a billion people got saved every year for a for a hundred thousand years. If time was to last a hundred thousand years, it only lasted two thousand, but time lasts a hundred thousand years, and a billion gets saved every year, that'd be only twelve quintillion. But if twelve and a half quintillion people get saved, there's enough room in heaven to make each one of us a house, ranch style, forty-six feet long, facing the street. Amen. No back ass. Amen. I'm not talking about families. I'm talking about individuals. Amen. Enough room in heaven right now to make 12 and a half quintillion people a house 46 feet long facing the main streets of the city. Amen. And if he run out of uh, space, how long would it take him to send an angel out with a measuring rod and take in a few more quintillion spaces? Amen. That's what he's up there for. That's what he went for. To prepare us a place. And he said, when I get him prepared, I'll be back. And he'll be back. Yeah. He can rest his shirt of that. A lot of modernists and liberalists and little uh, smart elders running around saying Jesus isn't coming back. Don't pay no attention to their babble. Jesus said, if it were not so, I would have told you. And you wait till he comes back and tell you it ain't so before you get shook up. This is some little dirty babbling mouth. Amen. Amen. Some screwball. He made it and he'll make it good. Amen. So my friends, he's gone to fix us a place. He said, blessed are those that die in the Lord. Hey, this is not our permanent address. We're just pilgrims. Amen. Just passing through the enemy's territory. That's where he's getting so rough. Amen. But he's fixing us a permanent address, the eternal city. So, my friends, death is the most blessed thing. The most blessed thing that can happen to you outside of salvation. That's the great thing. Because death would be a horrible thing without it. But once you get saved, the greatest experience that can happen to anybody is death. What is death? The D in death stands for deliverance. It delivers you from a diseased body. Delivers you from the demons and the death. 
Death delivers you from darkness. Death delivers you from disaster. Death delivers you from everything unpleasant. It delivers you, my friends, out of this old body that's eat up with disease, but the fever delivers you from the disease, from the pain, uh, from mental anxiety, from physical infirmity. Delivers! Death delivers! Amen. Delivers us out of this old carcass that's unpleasant to live in, into the place prepared for us. And the E in death stands for exit. You know, you're going to public building, you see a sign over the door, exit. That means in case the pressure gets too much or danger rises, there's your way out. Amen. When the pressures, the fevers get too high and the pains get too severe and we just can't uh, breathe and we can't stop. There's an exit to death. Into the paradise of God where we can breathe freely. Yes. And then the A stands for assurance. When you got delivered from this old body and the diseases and made your exit into the paradise of God, then you have the assurance that it's all God's promised you so. Amen. You have the assurance you got some. What Paul said, he said, I know if this tabernacle be dissolved, I have a building not made with hands eternal in the heavens. All the assurance you got somewhere to live won't be a drift and a float around. The assurance that you got a place to dwell in. And then the T stands for triumphant. Triumphant, victorious. Oh, death, where's your stinger? Oh, grave, where's your victim? Delivers victorious over death in the graveyard and hell and demons and everything else. And the H in death stands for home. We've gotten home after so long a roaming. Home, where we're not roaming anymore. Thank God for death. Oh, death is so wonderful. Death is so marvelous. Who wants to be horrified with death? Thank God for joy and die. When you're saved, the greatest thing can ever happen to you is make your exit into the paradise of God. Leave all this physical infirmities and all these mental anxieties and social disorders behind. Jesus is going to fix it for us. And he's going to let us go. But he said, you carry my business while I'm gone. Now Jesus established the church and he gave you the keys. Not about the preacher. He gave the church the keys. While preachers die, preachers move, preachers do this, but the church stays here. Whether you have a preacher or not, you can unlock heaven. Amen. He said, I'm working with you. I'm up coming, fixing my business up there, but I'll give you the keys and you carry it on till I get back. So my friends are... You say, well, our deacons are not spiritual. What's wrong with your key? Amen. Our singers are not spiritual. What's the matter with your key? Amen. Our church is just not spiritual. What's the matter with your key? Our Sunday school teachers are not spiritual. What's wrong with your key? Amen. Amen. Now, if you know so much how it ought to be, why don't you use your key? Quit pushing up. Amen. Hey, our big problem, my brother, sister, is not in the nursery where we've got kicking, squalling babies. we got the wrong crowd in the nursery in Baptist churches. Amen. These little kicking, screaming, squalling babies are not our problem. These old folks are all the time having to be burped all the time. Amen. Oh, I got hurt. I just can't get over it. Preacher don't run out and burp them. Their belly is the rest of their life. Amen. 
That is that this preacher spends his life burping belly aching church number when he wants to spend it winning people to Christ. Amen. Amen. Oh my friends, we need to recognize God give us something to do besides belly ache and gripe and murder. We've got a job to do. Amen. And if your church isn't what it ought to be, get on your proud knees and use your key and get what you need and shut up and burping. Amen. Amen. So we need to see. Too many of us, my friends, all the time are murmuring and yapping when you ought to be on your knees are praying, using your key. Amen. And then he said something else. He said, I'll build my church. I'll give you the keys and I'll work with you. Whatever you bind on earth, I'll bind it in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, I'll loose it in heaven. And my friends, that's what he does. When you bind things down here, he binds them up there. And when you loose them down here, he loose them up there. Then listen, in the 46th verse of the 24th chapter of Luke, said unto them, Thus it is written, Thus it behoove Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all generations, beginning at Jerusalem. You witnesses of these things, what is it? Jesus is simply saying this. I'll establish my church. I'll give you the keys. And whatever you bind, I'll bind. And whatever you loose, I'll loose. And then he said, I died and I was buried and I was rose again in order that you might have power to preach repentance and remission of sin. What is it? I've established my church to carry on my business while I'm gone. Give them the keys. Now that I've died and was buried and rose again, in order you can preach repentance and remission of sin. And you witnesses of these things, he said. And behold, I send the promises of my Father upon you, but carry the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. You've got the church. You've got the keys. You've got the right to preach repentance and remission of sin. You're witnessing all this. It doesn't happen. You've seen it happen. You know it so. You got all the promises of my father backing you up. But you carry the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. They worship him and return to Jerusalem with great joy and were continuing in the temple praising and blessing God. Then over in the second chapter of the book of Acts. Keep in mind now the church has been established. You've been given the keys. Keep in mind that he's died and was buried rose again. That you might preach repentance and remission of sin. And the promises of God are backing you up. But carry in this guarantee of being endued with power from on high. Power to motivate with. All right. They will continue in the temple praising and blessing God. Second chapter of the book of Acts. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all of one accord in one place. The church. They've grown from 12 members to 120 now. And done lost one old Judas. But they got 120 members. On the day of Pentecost, they'd grown from 12 to 120. They were there continuing in temple praising and blessing God. Now, a lot of people get the cart before the horse. They think. The power that came on the day of Pentecost produced a revival as wrong as wrong can be. Amen. It did not produce a revival. 
They're having a revival. Said they were continuing in temple praising and blessing God day and night, wouldn't go home, and they all got in one accord in one mind. And hey, when you get a Baptist church wherever member won't go home, they just want to stay there and shout and praise God. That's what they're doing. They were praising the Lord day and night. And they wouldn't go home, wouldn't go nowhere else. There they were. And there's all in one accord and one mind and one spirit. And my friends, when you get a Baptist church in that shape, they've had a revival. Wasn't no bickering, wasn't no division, wasn't no confusion, wasn't no madness, and nothing. They was all in one accord, one place, one mind. And what were they doing? They were there continuing. They wouldn't take out and go nowhere for it. They'd miss something. Amen. And they said, they're having a revival meeting. Then the power came on them while they're having a meeting. And suddenly, when they got in that shape, suddenly there came a sound from him as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled one corner of the house where some of them were sitting. Oh, no, it didn't. It filled all of the house where that 120 members were. Amen. And there appeared in them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set up on one, a good, one or two good old brothers and sisters. That isn't what the book said. There suddenly came a rushing in, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And they appeared in them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it set upon each of them. Set upon every one of the 120 members. Not a one of them missed it. Forked tongues on them. Hell for tongues. Holy for tongues. And there was one or two good old brothers and one good old sister that had been seeking the Holy Ghost got filled with him. Not what the book said. Right. They were A-double-A, all filled with the Holy Ghost. Not just one or two. Every one of the 120, not a one of them escaped it. That's right. Amen. They all got filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. T-O-U-G-E-U-E-S. T-O-N-G-U-E-S. Tongues. Plural. No, not the unknown tongue, but tongues. Here's where your unknown tongue stopped and the known tongue took place. All right. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit. As the Spirit. Notice, as the Spirit gave them utterance. They didn't have some fellow down over fucking kid talk, 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 talk. Amen. That's right. Like the tonguers do. The Spirit got them. All right. As the Spirit gave them up to say, spoke. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem. Jews. Devout men. What kind of men? Devout men. Not a bunch of hoodlums and hippies and hoppies and poppies. Devout men. Where were they from? Out of every nation under heaven. Hey, they were not a single nation that didn't have a representation. Amen. Amen. That's right. Now how come on that? 
They were there by divine appointment. Amen. They were not there accidentally. They were there on purpose. God had so ordered that there were devout men, not a bunch of rebellious hoodlums, but devout men out of every nation under heaven was present on that day. Amen. You see that? Isn't it marvelous that God had so ordered the steps of men, devout men, respectable men, dependable men? Why? It's God's business and He don't want some rebellious hoodlum. Amen. He wants dependable men. Amen. Men, not women, men, He said. Amen. Well, from every nation, not just four or five of them, but every nation under heaven, they were there by divine appointment. How come? God had a purpose. Just like when He sent Jesus in the world to seek to save that which was lost, it's when God sent man sent in God whose name is John, John the Baptist, be the forerunner of Jesus. These men come to do something. What's the purpose? Here it is. Devout men out of every nation under heaven. There the divine appointment. What for? To get the message of the church. Now this will answer a problem that's been the problem with some of you. You ever hear people say, well, it looked like God wouldn't be fat to send the healed and hell never had a chance. You ever hear that? If you haven't, you're a little unusual. Look like God wouldn't send the heathen to hell who had never had a chance. This will shut your mouth. That's right. There was a representative crowd out of every nation under heaven. God had them there to hear the message and they carried it back to every nation under heaven. And it didn't God's fault to didn't keep it. Amen. Every nation under heaven had it. Now they didn't keep it. It ain't God's fault. You see, God never gets him in. He always picks where nobody will point their finger in his face when it's over and say, God, we didn't have a chance. Amen. You see? For example, when most, I mean when Zacharias was to give, was announcing he's going to have a child, call him John the Baptist. Old Zacharias said, how do you know? How do I know, rather, that, that you're Gabriel telling me that? And Gabriel, the angel, said, I'll tell you how you know. You won't speak another word till the boy is born, you write his name down, John. Amen. And old Zach, like a... You ever said nothing else till that boy was born? They won't name him Zach, like a... And they got him something, he wrote down his name is John, and then he could talk again. Amen. Right. And when Jesus was born... Don't forget, God sent Gabriel to announce the birth of Jesus Christ. He didn't let Joseph or Mary or some king announce it. He sent Gabriel to announce it, and with a band of angels backing him up, and that's probably Michael with the warfaring angels going to whoop anybody that denies. Amen. My friends, I was some fool to jump on Gabriel and tell him he lied about that. I'd love to see what he'd do to him. Amen. Gabriel said he's the son of God, born in Bethlehem of Judea, and you'll find him in yeah. swaddling clothes. God sent an angel to announce the birth of Jesus so nobody couldn't say as a frame up. Then when the veil was rented in the temple, how come it to rent from the top to the bottom? So some fool couldn't say some fella got scared and run to it and tore hole in it. Amen. God 
foolproof everything you ever did do. Amen. Ever will do. He said these men out of every nation under heaven, my friends, show that everybody would know about Jesus. And furthermore than that, if you just want to be contentious, I'll tell you something else. Holding the book of John, the first chapter, ninth verse, God sealed that up again. John, the first chapter, the ninth verse, listen to it. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Every man that's ever come in this world had enough light to be saved. And then he said in the third chapter of the book of, first chapter of the book of Romans, he said because of the manifestation of the eternal Godhead in creation, there'll be an odd excuse in that day. What? The manifestation of the eternal Godhead. There'll be a lot of excuse. God put three joints in your fingers, three joints in your limbs, three parts of your body, flesh, blood, and bone, three parts to your brain, three parts to your eye, three parts to the tree, heart, sap, and bark, three parts to the creation, mental life, plant life. Everything God ever created is in three pieces. Declaring God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, and there's enough in nature to send every soul to hell and ever live if they won't see Jesus in it. Amen. That's what you're saying, preacher. I'm saying it's one simple truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and you can't change it. Amen. And here it is. There they were. When it was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. They all were all amazed and marveled. What confounded them? What amazed them? Because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Amen. You get that? Heard him speak in his own. Every man out of every nation heard them speak in his own language. Seventh verse. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all of these which speak Galileans one nationality? How hear we ever man in our own tongue wherein we were born? What they're saying? Here's all of these church members, Galileans, one nationality, and yet they're speaking our, our own language fluently. The mother tongue language. Not just the language of that nation. See, they might not have understood the national, but God saw to it that they spoke it in the mother tongue language. So nobody can stand in the judgment and say, Yeah, God, I go there and heard that church. But I didn't understand what they're saying. I didn't know whether they're cussing or praying. No, they understood every word. Amen. Amen. Every word. You hear me, my brother, sister. You know where this unknown tongue business started? Tower Babel. That's right. Amen. Once folks said, We're going to build some other way to heaven. They started building tower, going to build up so high they'd step up in heaven. Step off that tower and step over in heaven. Some other way other than Jesus' way. Amen. And he touched their tongues. They went to chatter like a bunch of geese and couldn't get around. That's right. Amen. You hear this preacher? I'm not being mean. I'm preaching the truth this morning. Amen. Where are you find tongue talkers? You find them preaching some other way other than Jesus Christ. Amen. They say you got to talk tongues to get to heaven. you got to live a sinner's life to get to heaven. Every bit of it's a lie. Amen. Amen. No wonder God lets them talk tongues so folks won't hear their damnable heresies. Amen. Amen. 
Jesus said, Fear my witness. And hey, if you don't understand what a witness is saying, he's not a witness. That's right, amen. Amen. And anybody gets up a jabbing and a blabbing and you don't know what they said, Paul said, if they don't understand you, shut up and sit down. Amen. Now I want you to know, God never does nothing unknown. What God does is known. Amen. Keep that in mind. Now I want you to know, God never does nothing unknown. What God does is known. Amen. Keep that in mind. What's the need of God having a bunch of stuff pulled when folks don't know what's going on? That's right. They don't edify anybody. If God's doing anything, it's for the benefit of somebody else. And he wants you to know what's being said, what's going on. Amen. You hear me? I'm not being mean, I'm just telling the truth. Amen. Amen. May shock some of you. But you dig into the doctrines. Bro, when God has something done, hear my witnesses. Folks will know what to say. Amen. You, if you as a jury, we brought a witness up here and you didn't understand his language. We couldn't hold the jury responsible. But if you understood what he said, then you'd have to make a decision. Amen. And so that's what I'm saying. They heard him in their own tongue. In their own mother language, they heard him. They knew what this was saying. Why? Because when the final day comes of the judgment, nobody can point their finger at God and say, I didn't know what this was saying that day. Yes, they did. They heard it in their own mother tongue language. Then they all marveled. They were amazed. They were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? All of these speaking Galileans, and yet they're speaking this other language. Others mocked and said, These fellows are full of new wine. Peter stood up and said, And didn't so. Since nine o'clock in the morning, they hadn't had time to get on a drunk yet. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. What did Joel say? So come to pass in the last days, saith God, I'll pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I'll pour out in those days of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. So my friends, what's he saying? In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Amen. Sons and daughters, old men, young men, ignorant men, servants, maids, and everyone else. What does it mean? Here's what it means. Up until this hour, the Holy Ghost came upon the people when they needed it. Then he went back. Because Jesus is here. But Jesus said, when I go away, he'll come to stay. Jesus came in bodily form, remained in bodily form, left in bodily form, returned in bodily form. But when the Holy Ghost come, he had no body, so he took up his abode in our bodies. Holy Ghost is not in heaven. Holy Ghost not floating around in space. He's in the same people today. Amen. He's dwelling in your hearts and in your life. Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost and that he dwelleth in you? You don't have to go out seeking. He's in there. You say, preacher, okay. I know. I'm not going to preach it out the book. I got better sense than that. You're not getting me him. You'll cut you out with the word. 
37 verse of the seventh chapter of John. The last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood crying, saying, Men, and thirst, let him come and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. What's he said? Jesus said, When I go away, I'll send the Holy Ghost, and he'll stay instead of me. And when Jesus gave up the ghost on the cross, watch it closer now, when the tabernacle was finished, the Shekinah glory came until it couldn't see Moses for seeing God. Amen. When the temple, Solomon's temple was finished and dedicated, what happened? The Shekinah glory filled the temple till it couldn't see Solomon and man for seeing God. All right, listen to Jesus. I will build my church here down on the cross. It is finished. Well, what was he doing? Building the church. It's finished. And when he said that, the Shekinah glory came on him till they couldn't see men for seeing God. And that's the way it ought to be now. My friends, I call your attention to another passage of Scripture that you need to recognize in the Word of God that uh, when the Spirit of God gets upon us and we get right with God, there's some things that we need to recognize and see that God tells us. Listen to this. 12 verse of the 16th chapter of John I have yet many things to say unto you but you cannot bear them now how be it when he the spirit of truth has come he guides you into all truth for he shall not speak of himself but whatsoever he shall hear that shall he speak and he will show you things to come he shall glorify me for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you all things that the father mine therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you what did he say? When the Holy Ghost comes, he won't speak of himself. He'll speak of Jesus. Amen. Now when you hear people running around saying, Oh, I got the Holy Ghost. I can cast out devils. I can heal folks. I got the Holy Ghost. That don't prove a thing. Amen. I've seen a whole steam bull heal a man one day. been paralyzed 12 years. <laughs> run out of stairs back, jumped up and run. <laughs> Had been paralyzed since. Now, don't you realize, my friends, Jesus said in the book of John, the 16th chapter, when the Holy Ghost comes, he'll not refer to himself, he'll refer to me. Amen. And when you hear folks saying, oh, I've got the Holy Ghost, I'm the poor man, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead, folks, please run down in the bank, look at me, I'm here and say, he said, my friends, they've got a ghost, put it in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You get full of Holy Spirit, you won't do one thing. Let's break on Jesus. Amen. That's all. You go to breaking on the gifts and the Holy Ghost. You ain't never been filled with the Holy Spirit. You just got an experience of some sort. Amen. You got your ghost all right. He'll run you in the ticket before it's over. Now then listen. He said he'll pour out a spirit upon all the flesh. Sons and daughters, young and old men, all men. 
disturbance in man. Poor, rich, and tempted Lord. Why? When you're saved, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God, and if you let him, he'll praise the Lord through you. Amen. What is it? He will fill them all. And they went from house to house. After he got full of the Holy Spirit, this church went from house to house to house. What doing? Praising the Lord. Amen. Not the Holy Ghost, but praising the Lord. That's what the book said, ladies and gentlemen. Went from house to house, praising the Lord. So when we get full of the Spirit of God, we'll do one thing. We'll go through the community praising the Lord. Amen. Not bragging on who we are, what we've got. We'll just go out praising the Lord. Amen. He said they shall prophesy. What is prophesying? Good news. Good news. Jesus saves. Send it across the way. Jesus saves. Give it to the poor. The rich, the young, the old. Everybody. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. When you get full of bed, God, one thing. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And Jesus saves. And that does it. Amen. Amen. We're not good. Amen. Let's all stand. Go home and sleep this evening. In the book of Acts, the second chapter, in the 47th verse, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I want us to think along that line tonight. I talked to you this morning about why Jesus established his church and set his church in action while he was here. Now then, tonight I want to pick up there and go on a little further with it. Why did God add you to the church is the question I want to raise tonight. And the Lord added to the church daily such as the saved. I want to ask you the personal question tonight, why did God add you to this church? You say, well, the Lord didn't add me. I just joined it. Then you're in the wrong pew. Amen. In the wrong position. In the wrong place. In the wrong stall. My friends, Jesus said he added to the church daily such as a saved. Now, he had a purpose in adding you to this particular church. Have you ever really faced it? Have you ever really confronted the fact that the Lord had a special purpose for adding you to this church? If I'd call you by name and ask you personally, why did God add you to this church tonight? Could you tell me? Why did he add you? You say, well, preacher, I don't know. Isn't that a tragedy? You know, it's awful to belong to a church for 10 or 15 years and never know why God added you to it. Now, he wasn't just adding to get figures. He's not in the figure business. God wants quality and not quantity. We got a lot of Baptist churches, and God forbid, I don't want to be critical, but we got a lot of Baptist churches today doing nothing but counting noses. They're trying to have more than everybody else has. And they run them through the baptistry like we used to run cows through the dipping vats and get the ticks off of them. And 
I'm thinking now of one church, particularly a Baptist church, that boasted about they baptized 4,500 last year. They got less than 1,600 in Sunday school right now. What went with you, 4,500? And so, my friends, God's never been interested in quantity. He wants quality. You see that in the case of Gideon. Gideon called out an army and his 32,000 answered the call and God said, there's a lot of money ministered. Tell the ones that don't mean business, go on back home. And 22,000 of them went back. He said, you still got too many. You still got too many folks in there. Take them down to the river where there's water and the ones that dip up the water and lap it out of their hands while they look to see if they can see an enemy, select them. But the ones that get up and down and lap it up like a dog lapping out, send them back too. When Gideon got through, he just had 300 left out of 32,000. But he took the 300 and won the victory over the, the enemy. And my friends, all down through the word, we find one thing prevailing, and that is that God's not interested in quantity, but quality. Amen. You notice Jesus said, Fear not, little flock, for it's my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God's not planning on giving his kingdom to the whole multitude of people. He's planning on turning his kingdom over to that little faithful few that's been found faithful down through the years. Notice here he said, Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. And so my friends, this is God's proven ground to see whether you're fit to be a king or to be a ruler. If you're not going to be faithful to his church, then he's not going to let you be a ruler in the next world. Amen. And so we need to recognize that as we look at it, my friends. Here's the whole business. And God had a particular reason for adding you to this church. God never does nothing just to be figuring, be diddling with a pencil or something to add numbers up. God had a purpose in adding you to this church. And you need to know what that purpose is and then accomplish the purpose for which God added you to this church. And I want you to realize tonight that's a very vital thing in the eyes of God. God had started this church and added them to the church and said, Occupy till I come. Now the thing I want us to realize, first of all, my friends, is set with this, that God didn't add you to this church to do somebody else's job. Amen. Everybody has a specific task in this church. God never runs a duplicating machine. Every individual, in other words, is somebody in God's sight. I want you to realize one thing tonight. You're not an accident in the world. You're here for a specific purpose. God brought you in the world to do one thing. There was a man sent from God whose name was John to prepare a people for the Lord. God brought you in the world, ladies and gentlemen, for just one thing. You're not an accident. God let you breathe and be born in this world and created you because he had a specific job to do and he created you with the ability to do it. Notice there in that verse that I read to you in the 25th chapter of Matthew, for example. You get these words. Matthew 25, 15. Every man according to his several abilities God created us all with a certain amount of ability. One of these fellows had five talent, ability, one of them had two talent, ability, and one of them had one. 
Now the man that had five talents doubled his and had ten. One that had two doubled his and had two, four. And he did just as much as the one that had five talents because all he did was double it. So did the other man with two double his and had the one with one talent double his, he'd have done just as much as the fellow with five talents. In other words, my friends, God's got it on that basis and on that order. If a little boy that's just made a dime this week brings his pen and puts his tithe in, some bigger boy has made a dollar and puts his dime in, some man's made ten dollars and puts a dollar in, another man's made a thousand dollars and puts a hundred dollars in as his tithe, he didn't put in a bit more than that little fellow put in a penny. Because all he put in was a tithe, and the little boy put in a tithe, and the sight of God, one did just as much as the other. One was just as faithful as the other. The boy was faithful over his tithe, which was a penny. The man was faithful over his tithe, which is a hundred dollars. But that's all. And so, my friends, but this one man that had one talent went out and hid it and didn't invest it, and God came, and he was disappointed in it. And as a result of the one that invested the five, he said, In it, I into the joy of thy Lord. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Said the same thing to the second man who had invested the two and doubled his, but to the man who didn't invest anything because he just had one talent. Then he said, Take it away from him and give it to somebody that'll invest it and use it. Amen. And what I want you to realize, my friends, if you're not going to do what God created you to do, and brought you in the world to do, then why let you breathe? Amen. He come to the fig tree and found no figs on it, and he cursed the fig tree and it withered away real soon. I think we've got a lot of Baptists withered tonight because God's come and found nothing in their lives. He planted them here to bear fruit and they bear none, and they're withered tonight because of it. And I want you to realize everybody as an individual with God the God of Abraham, the God of Moses, the God of Isaiah, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham. See, God deals with us as individuals. God never runs a duplicating machine. He never duplicates. My beloved, every drop of rain that comes down, comes down as an individual drop. If it is all one big drop, it splashes us to death when it hit us. But every drop of rain leaves up there and comes down and not one drop gets mixed up with another drop. God so times the drops and so places the drops that none of them have a collision with each other. But whenever a drop of rain gets placed where God sent it from the sky, the earth is wet. Amen. Then you get out and watch it snow sometimes. Every flake of snow comes as an individual flake. You see a great big flake, big around half a dollar and it's coming down that little flake, big as a nail head. You think that big old flake's going to hit that little flake, but it won't. It'll bypass it. Flakes of snow never touch each other till they touch the ground. But when God gets all the big flakes and the little flakes down, the ground is blanking it with snow. But well, it took the little flakes as well as the big flakes. It took the little, takes the individual drops, my friends, to whip the earth, and takes the individual flakes to blanket the earth with snow. And so as a result, God has created you with an ability and you got a place to play in this life that nobody else can ever play Amen. and if you don't play that part it'll never be played but you'll face God with it Amen. Amen. we're created in Christ Jesus he tells in the book of Ephesians the second chapter we're created in Christ Jesus unto good works 
God created you to do a certain job. He brought you in the world for that purpose. You're not an accident here. My friends, then every individual is a different individual. Therefore, you must answer to God as an individual. You can get a million people together and you can't find two human beings exactly alike. You can get two million people and put them together, but you won't find any two human beings exactly. You can pull a thousand leaves off in a tree and there's no two leaves exactly alike. You can pluck a thousand blades of grass and you won't find no two blades of grass identical. God never repeats. Every leaf plays its part, every blade of grass plays its part. My friends, every human being plays its part, every drop of rain plays its part, every flake of snow plays its part. And nobody else can take its place. God puts you in this world for a special purpose. And if you don't serve that purpose out, then the purpose for which God puts you here is defeated. You'll have to face God with it after a while. Now we stop to recognize, for example, my friends, we have different talents. Thank God I don't have to answer to the talent of somebody else. You take, for example, as some great preachers in this country like Billy Graham, who's multiplied thousands of people come to hear him preach. He's popular all over the world. They know him all over the world. as the great evangelist of the day. But my friends, he has more talent than I have. God didn't hold me responsible for not preaching as many people as Billy Graham preaches because he didn't create me with that ability. My friends, there's W.A. Crystal, which is the pastor of the largest Baptist church among Southern Baptists. Out there in Dallas, Texas, probably the largest Baptist church in the world. But my friends, he has the ability. You put some little peanut preacher like me out there in that big first church in Dallas, I wouldn't last till the water got hot. He's got over 16,000 members. This highly organized, he's got 280 deacons. That's more members than we got. And he's got his Sunday school highly organized. You can't even let one, if you want to take your baby to church in Sunday school out there, if it isn't big enough to hold a tithe and envelope, you have to pin a tithe and envelope on its die before you can get in. He means for everybody's tithe, the young ones and all. And he gets by with it. Some of your churches did that, you get thrown out before you got started. But what I'm saying, he has the ability. You put me or Ronnie Simpson in that first church and we'd go crazy in a little while. But you turn around to put W.A. Crystal in a little church like this or like I was out at Myrtle, and he wouldn't last a week. He'd climb the walls because he didn't have no more to preach to than that. You see, God created another fellow with what ability needed. God didn't give you somebody else's ability. He gave you your ability. And God, thank God he don't expect me to have any more, do any more than my ability allows me to do. For example, down in Mississippi where I live, we have big tractors now and plow 12 rows at a time. Got 12 plows behind them. They go down through those big level fields out there in the Mississippi Delta. You'd plow 12 rows at a time and pick four rows of cotton at a time in those cotton picking machines. It's a marvelous machine. 
But there they are. Here they go down to those fields plowing 12 rows of corn or 12 rows of beans or 12 rows of cotton at one plow. And they, they can cover several hundred acres in a day's time with those big plows and, and big tractors. But when they get to the end of the row, they can't. And in all the corners, they can't plow with that tractor. It takes too much room to turn it around. So there's a lot of corners. They have to get a small tractor or mule to plow those corners. Amen. And they usually plant their seed crop, their special seed crop in those corners because they're treated delicate with a mule or with a little tractor. And the best seed comes out of those corners. That's usually the richest, most fertile soils in the corners where them big tractors can't get in. And so as a result, they have some little tractors or a mule and get in the corners and plow the corners out. But a lot of the seed corn and seed cotton comes out of those corners. And so, my friends, we've got great men like Billy Sunday used to be and like Charles Haddon Spudgeon used to be and like Billy Graham and others. They're the big ones with the 12 plows behind them and they take great throngs of people as they go. But God's got a lot of little fence corners there that he plowed out. He called fellas like Ronnie Simpson and myself and some others to plow up the fence corners. Yeah. But those corners are just as important, if you please, as the big middle field. Because out of those corners, churches like yours have come some of the great preachers of yesterday and of today. They've come out of places like that. And God wants everybody with different talents to do the different tasks that there is to do. So as a result, he's planted you in the church. Hey, if there's some other church better for you to be in, God had added you to it. He knows why he wants you in this church. You ought to find out if you don't know. Don't spend your life for 10 or 15 years missing. Preach, I don't know why God had me in the church. Get on your knees and stay with God till he tells you. That's yeah. it. It's dangerous not to do what God created us to do. For example, my friends, God created Cain to show forth a marvelous thing. That was the shedding of the blood, the blood of the innocent blood of an animal, the blood that was sinless, guiltless blood, if you please, was to be sprinkled. And old Cain brought the works of his own hands and said, I'll do it this way, God. God said, no, Cain. He told him the second time, no, I want it this way. And Cain, as a result, wouldn't listen to God and went ahead and did it his way. And God put a, made Cain an outcast and made him the fugitive and a vagabond and put a curse upon him because he wouldn't do what God brought him in the world to do. There was Esau. God meant for Esau to respect the birthhood and the, the birthright and the priesthood of Christ. And old Esau went out and sold the birthright and the priesthood of Christ for a mess of pies. And as a result, he didn't do what God brought him in the world doing. You find Esau spending the rest of his life on his knees, crawling around with bitter tears, trying to find a place of repentance, but Amen. he never did find it. Amen. Why? He didn't do what God put him here to do, and God left him. Cain didn't do what God put him here to do, and God left him. Saul didn't do what God sent him out to do, and God withdrew from him, turned a wicked spirit on him, and he suicided to get out of the mess he got himself in. And I can tell you others, 
My friends, there's a lot of Baptists tonight all mixed up and all worried and all miserable because they haven't done what God had in the church to do. Amen. They're in miserable shape. I tell you, you better find out why God added you to this church and get to doing it. Abraham was the only one God ever called on to offer his only son. To show forth the offering of his only son, Jesus Christ, as God came for that. Moses is the only one that ever saw a burning bush. Nobody else has ever seen one like Moses saw. Daniel's the only one that ever survived the lion's den. And the lions couldn't eat him because he's so full of God and the angels fisted with him. Amen. My friends, I want you to realize every individual is a different thing. We've never had but one Pentecost. My friends, people have prayed for it through every generation. It's never been but one, never will be but that one. God isn't running no repeating duplicate machine. But come to when the children of Israel... God fed them each day with a man, and when they've gathered up enough for the second day, it molded and mildewed on them. And I want you to realize tonight, my friends, God isn't going to let you duplicate something and do something. He's going to have you to do it like He wants to do it, or you won't do it, that's all. Amen. And so we stop to recognize we must realize that we are saved as people and add to the church for a special work. God had something for you to do. And he saved you. He added you to the church to do it. And you ought to find out what it is and do it. Amen. We stop to recognize these that have failed to do what God had to the church to do has always come up cursed and blighted as a result of it. He made us with that nature. He gave us with that ability. We are vessels in the sight of God. You're an important vessel in God's sight. One day I came by and they was bidding off some, auctioning off some little, just little old red clay stone pots, flower pots. Used to buy them 10 cents a piece all day long. And they just auctioned up, auctioned it off, and there somebody bid $1,000, somebody 1500 somebody 2000 somebody 25 somebody 3000 somebody 3500 Then finally 4500 and I thought, well, you crazy folks, you can buy them old pots anywhere. And finally it went at forty-seven fifty. And the auctioneer cried out forty-seven fifty, forty-seven fifty once, forty-seven fifty twice. And this person's bought it. And I thought, well, stupid thing, I can get you a truckload of them for less than that. But when they found when I found out what it was, they had a five thousand dollar diamond in that pot. It was the diamond that made that pot valuable. It wasn't nothing the old clay pot. It was what is in it. My friends, you all 